Good morning, church. Good to see everybody. Good to be together again. I always get excited to be together with my family and, and, and spend time with people that I know um, you know, love me and that I get to love on. It's always a good time to be with our church family, but it's also a really good time to be with our guests. And if you're a guest here um, and just visiting with us, we're super excited that you chose to spend this time with us. We're excited because we were taken in by a family, each of us, that, that loved on us. We were shown the family of God um, and the love of God through other people. That's God's favorite way to show His love, is to bring other people into your life for them to love on you with the love that they've received. That's what God wants to do all the time. And so if you're here, God is doing exactly what He wanted to do and getting to show you love with the people that He's loved on um, already. And so I hope that this is a time where God is able to do something really cool in your heart and, and, uh, and help you grow in, in awesome ways that, that you couldn't even imagine. Um, so we've, we've been going through a series called The Miracle of Mercy. Um, we're wrapping it up today, and, and the series has been about how God breathes new life into us at times where we deserve it the least and need it the most. That's when God gives us mercy, and, and it's amazing. We've talked about what God's mercy looked like. We talked about how it's unearned kindness and it's undeserved forgiveness, right? It's, it's give, being kind to someone before they've earned it. It's, it's forgiving someone before they deserve it, and we've talked about how we get to share that and this week, as we wrap it up, we're going to talk about why it's so important to share that mercy. It's important to share that mercy because it's for right now. It helps people right now in this world, but it's, it's critical because it also helps people in their eternity. It's not just about right now. The, the, the choices you make and the way that you treat people and the truth that you help reveal to them is going to impact them now, but it's also going to impact where they spend forever. And that's a huge deal. And we've, we all have a day coming, and the Bible's really clear on this. When our life is over, where the choices that we've made are laid in front of us in God's presence, and that's going to determine our eternity. In Hebrews 9.27, it says, everyone must die once and after that be judged by God. Our eternity is based on the choices we make in this life. The mercy that we show can, can alter that direction that people are going and, and can help them make choices that don't earn heaven but earn and but gather up a relationship with God that 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 gives him that that gives you that peace and and helps you get where you need to be. The mercy that that God demands his followers to extend in this life is designed to allow God to show mercy in the next life. Right? It is designed. Our the mercy that we show is designed to help other people surrender to God and be in the best place possible so that he can show them mercy and not have to deal with them being in rebellion to him. That's, what, that's why we do what we do. So we're going to go through the book of Jude. Um, it's a book that doesn't get quoted a lot, um, but it's one that has a lot of really important things in it. And so we're going to go verse, um, through several of those verses and talk about um, Jude, who is writing to a church that has some people in it that are not acting right. It's a church where people are are actively working against God's purposes. Look how he puts it in the first couple of verses. It says, um, this letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. I am writing to all who have been called by God the Father, who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus. May God give you more and more mercy, peace, and love. And so he's saying, I'm writing to the church. And he says to the church, dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share, but now I find I must write about something else urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once more, once for all time, to his holy people. So he's saying, what I would love to do is write to you a letter that is, is about all the cool things that come from us all being saved, right? What I want is to write you a letter that says, we're all good, this is awesome, let's celebrate that. But what I have to write 
is that there are people in your midst, there are people in your church that are not acting right, that are not living for God, and, and that's a problem. We need to defend what the life that God called this to be and not, not turn it into something else. And so there were, they were lost people inside the church, and they were lost because they felt like they could believe in Jesus or claim to believe in Jesus and just live however they wanted, even if that hurt other people. Right, Even if their decisions were destructive, they thought that was okay. They claimed to be pro-Christ, but really they were anti-Christ. They were doing the exact opposite of what God wanted to happen in this world. And so because of that, their eternities were uncertain. They were in a bad place. And in fact, that's, a, that's more and more common in the church. A survey Barna Research does, a ton of church research, and they, did a re, they asked a question. They surveyed a ton of churches all across the country. And in American churches, what they found is that 40% of church members don't take their commitment to Christ seriously anymore, and that those same 40% are completely unsure of where they'll be for eternity. That is a scary place to be and not anywhere that I want anyone that I love to be in. That's not okay. It's a, you don't have to be there. You don't have to be in a place where you're like, I don't know where I stand with God. He doesn't want it to be uncertain, just like any relationship. I don't want to like wake up every morning and be like, hope my wife likes me today. You know, like, that's a pretty important relationship. Like, I want to know I'm, I am not going to have peace unless I know that we're okay. And there are, there are relationships, and some of us have been in relationships where we wake up every day and say, I don't know if they're going to like me today. And then it's not funny. Then it's, then it's like a really hard thing. It's a very stressful place to be. And so God doesn't want that. He doesn't want that tension. He says, I want to show you the kind of mercy, and I want you to show the kind of mercy where there is no fear. You know, where you can just come in and know, I am in a good place. Um, we are, I know where I stand. I know that I'm living a life of purpose that's awesome and powerful. And I know exactly what we're doing together. It doesn't have to be this scary, uncertain place. And mercy is how he accomplishes that. Him showing mercy and then us showing mercy to others is how he gets us there. So Jude reveals three kind of people that God calls me to be merciful to. And these are three people, three kinds of people that don't typically get much mercy but need it the most. These are people who um, often carry church hurt because they have gone into churches um, and not received mercy. They've received rejection and judgment and, and all these things that, that they didn't need in that moment. And so they are coming out of that wounded. And so it is all the more important that we be a church that shows mercy to these kinds of people um, and, and loves on them because they are, they are lost and they are in need of help, not attack. Right, uh, Wes did an amazing job going through. We're going through Ephesians in our Bible study um, in the mornings at 10 o'clock, and, and we talked about the armor of God, and we talked about the sword of the Spirit, and how the sword of the Spirit is meant to be used to defend people, not to attack people, that people are not your enemy. We, they have an enemy that is the same enemy you have, and when they act like a fool, they're acting like a fool because the enemy's attacking them, and they don't have the equipment to deal with it, right? And so we're supposed to use the word and everything that God equips us with to defend people, not to attack people. So three people that God calls me to be merciful to. And remember, when he calls us to be merciful to these people, it's because it does not come naturally, right? These are three people that when you run into them, your first instinct may not be, it would be super awesome to spend time with them. Your first instinct would be like, what's their problem, right? But we need to get over that and have the eyes of God for them. So the first one is, I must be merciful to those who doubt. It is completely natural to go through periods of doubt. There are verses in the Bible of awesome godly people struggling with doubt in God instead of striking them dead, helping them process through that, right? And yet, the church traditionally has been a very scary place to admit doubt. 
right? It is, it is not often welcome. If you say that you are doubting, then, you know, someone's like, you better start praying, right? Like you are in trouble, right? And that is not, that is not the response that we see in Scripture. It is, it, is, it is something that is a natural thing to go through, but not a place we want people to have to sit in. But there's, a, there's two different ways you can do that. You can shame them for doubting, or you can support them through their doubt. And those are two very different approaches. In Jude 22, what does God say? God says, be merciful to those who doubt. That is how God approaches doubt. Be merciful to them. Many doubters want to believe, but they have baggage. They have hurtful experiences. They have, they have things they've been through that make it hard to believe. There's a man who comes up to Jesus at one point and says, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Right? And that is such a vulnerable thing to say to Jesus. Right? That's a, a scary thing to say to God, but it's so cool. And Jesus helps him. Like Jesus takes that and he doesn't say, ew, gross, doubt. Right? Like he, when he says, help me with my unbelief, Jesus looks him in the eye and is basically like, I get that. Like, let's talk about what to do with that. Let's figure out what you need to be healed. God is not afraid of your doubts. In fact, Jesus says in a very popular scripture, knock and the door will be open to you. Ask and you will find, right? Like that's what Jesus says. Come and ask me the hard questions. And so if God is not afraid of people's hard questions, then as his people, we need to not be afraid of the hard questions and, and shame people for having doubts and going through things. Even people that have been Christians for a long time, um, it's okay. Often we are, we are meant to be the ones when God, when Jesus says, knock and the door will be opened, a lot of times we're the ones who's supposed to be holding the door open for the people having the doubts, right? That's our role. We're the ones to open that door for them and show them something different and show them love that answers their questions, um, that mercy and acceptance when they knock. Um, it, is, it is a scary thing to knock on a door and not know what it's going to be like when you open the door. And, and we're the ones who say, it's all good. I've been here before. This is a safe place, right? You get to open that door for them. The second kind of person that I must be merciful to is I must be merciful to those who are endangered. When you look at someone and you say, you are living a very dangerous life. You are living a life that is self-destructive, that is, that is not good for you. Um, there are some people who are lost because they are so caught up in their sin that they have been just functional enough to not realize the need for change, right? Have you ever heard the term functional alcoholic, right? What does that mean? It means that I can operate in a way while drinking to excess where enough of my life can go on that I don't have to change, right? Like I can, I can fool enough people and I can hold down a job and I can do these things and, I, and so it's okay in a sense that I'm doing all these, this danger, this dangerous stuff to my body because enough people don't know that it's all right. But that is a very dangerous game to play. It's a dangerous game to play with alcohol, and it's an even more dangerous game to play with God. Right? Living, God does not want for you a life where you are a functional sinner, right? where you are, you are sinning in a way, you are living in a self-destructive way, making enough bad decisions that maybe you can fool enough people to get away with it. That is a miserable life. It's a life filled with guilt. It's a life where you have to wear a mask all the time and you're always worried people are going to figure you out. And I can list all the things that life is because I have lived it for years. Like I have spent years of my life living in a way where I did not want anyone to see behind the face that I put in front of you. Right? It is a miserable way to live. And God would rather us live in the light and live in a way where we don't have to be afraid of that. And that's what we're pulling people back from. that They don't even know the danger they're in. In Jude 23, it says, save others by snatching them from the fire, right? When you are around someone who does not realize the danger they are in, you have a responsibility to help them see the danger. 
right? If you are in a place where they don't know that the building's about to come down, it is not okay to walk out of the building and be like, hope they figure it out, right? That's not okay. And if you see your friend thinking that this is okay, this is what my family's always done, this is normal for us, like get out of my business, and you know that it's dangerous, you have a responsibility to help them see that what they're doing is dangerous. And the way that you do that is not telling them they're an idiot and telling them to do better, right? The way that you do that is by showing mercy. And a, a typical churchy response to someone who goes out and gets blasted all the time is to shake your head and just thank God that that's not you, right? That has been the, the, the church's typical response to those who are going out and making bad decisions. But mercy, what mercy does is mercy gets involved. Mercy sees someone making hurtful decisions and they get involved in their life. They make a friend. They invite them over for dinner. They build a relationship and they build a foundation of love that will allow them to do more work within that relationship. Mercy addresses the hurt that's driving them to the bottle. It doesn't shame them for it, right? It, it gets to, let me, I need to find out why you are doing these things to yourself. And the only way that I'm going to find that out is to love on you and be in your life in such a way that I can discover that and that we're, you're going to care what I say at the end of it, right? That's what mercy does. That's what Jesus did. He walked in and he got involved in people's lives and he knew what the stakes were. And if we don't know what the stakes are, we're not going to do it because that is a scary thing. It is a scary thing to watch someone who was in a self-destructive cycle and walk up to them and say, let's be friends, right? That's a scary thing. But Second Thessalonians 1, 7 and 8 says, he will come, Jesus will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. This is what Jesus knew, is that there is going to come a day where the choices that you make are going to be brought to account. And I don't want your choices to be the reason that I don't get to spend forever with you. And so because of that, if you really believe that, then you're not going to look at people who are hurting themselves and, and lining themselves up to be in trouble when the day of judgment comes and be like, I hope they figure it out, right? That's not going to be your mindset. You're going to urgently want to get in their life. You're going to care enough about them that you're going to do awkward things and difficult things, and you're going to put yourself out there because it is so. there's nothing more important to me than you finding out that there is a God who loves you who can save you from the track that you're on. Right? You're gonna, there are, the stakes are real, and God has guided you to your work, to your neighborhood, to your family, so that you can be an agent of mercy and shape their now and make their now better, but more importantly, make their eternity better. That's why God has put you in the places that you are. And if we don't recognize the urgency of it, we're just going to go about our business and, and not be the agent of mercy that God has called us to be. The third kind of person that we need to be merciful to are those who are dangerous. We need to be merciful to those who are in danger, and then we need to be merciful to those who are dangerous. And that can be the hardest one, but it's one we cannot ignore. This is all based on Scripture. I didn't make this up. I wouldn't have made it up, right? It's not what I would have picked. God said this. I am talking about those who are committed to pleasing themselves and rebelling against God even when it hurts others. I'm talking about the manipulator, the liar, the cheater. The one who you wouldn't send your kids to their house, right? Those are the people, those are included in the group of people that we need to show mercy to. In Jude 23, it says, to others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh, right? Even if they stink of death, if their choices just stink of death, we're still to show mercy to them. We're to be smart about it, 
but we're to show mercy to those people. There is a road back to every, for everyone. Look at Paul. Paul was straight up imprisoning and murdering Christians. That was his road. And at some point, somebody, several somebodies came alongside Paul and wrapped their arm around him and said, we're going to help you find your way home. What would have happened if someone hadn't done that? Right? Think about all the good that Paul did. Paul launched, in, in large part, a lot of the church. And none of that would have happened if someone hadn't come alongside a murderer and said, there is a road back for you. Now, the murderer had to cooperate, right? You can, that takes two. But someone opened that door for him. And it says mixed with fear. The fear means that you're smart about how you reach out to people in that mindset. You don't give cash to an addict, Right? You don't ask someone you don't trust to watch your kids, and you certainly don't pretend like what they're doing is okay, right? That is the last thing. we. This does not mean you go up to someone who is abusive and say, it's okay, right? That is not what we're saying. It is not okay, but there is a difference between rejecting someone outright and saying, it is not okay, therefore you are not okay, and I never want anything to do with you, and saying, what you are doing is not okay, therefore we need to do something about that, and I am willing, if you are, to walk with you down that road. That's all he's asking of us, to say, if you are willing, I will go with you. You will not do it alone. Paul could not have gotten where he, was going, where he went alone. He did it because people came alongside him when he deserved it the least and showed him mercy. That's what mercy is. It means that we show that we care about them and we give them a safe space to experience community and to learn what it's like to live for more than themselves. People don't even know what that's like. There are people that get raised in a way in abusive backgrounds and difficult backgrounds where they have never in their whole lives seen someone who cared more about someone else than they did about themselves. They've just, it's completely foreign to them. It's a different language. They've never heard of it. And we get to be, if we're willing, the people that step in and say, this is what that looks like, right? When you're around me, you're going to see what it looks like to live a different way. And they can choose to accept that or reject it. If they reject it, they're going to have consequences they have to deal with. But if they accept it, it can be the start of something really powerful. And we've seen that play out. There are people in this room that were that way, that have heard other people consistently and have learned to do a, a different way. And that's what Jesus did, because honestly, all of us in, that, in this room are people that have hurt people and made self-destructive and destructive decisions. And Jesus came into all of our mess, and he said, I see you hurting others. I see you hurting my kids, right? That's what Jesus saw. When he saw me, he said, you are hurting my children, when I used to make fun of the church and, and criticize and belittle people that went to church, because I did, right? I was actively discouraging people that Jesus desperately wanted to save. I was anti-Christ in my attitude. And he looked at me in that state and said, I'm going to send you a friend, right? He looked at me while I was doing that and said, I'm going to send you people until you get sick of them. I'm going to send you so many opportunities, right? You're going to turn down every one of them, and eventually one's going to break through while I was still a sinner, while I was still hurting the people around me. And so we need to, if God did that for me, then I, who am I to say that you don't deserve that chance too? And it's hard, and we got to be smart about it, and we'll go into that a little bit more later, but at the end of the day, it's a command. And if we're going to claim the name of Christ, we don't get to pick whether we follow it or not. And he provided that example. We don't get to pick whether we follow it or not. So to remember that, to remember Jesus' example, and to remember that he did it first, we always take communion. Every week we get together and we honor what Jesus said. He said he passed around bread that he broke and he passed around a cup and he said, this is my body that's broken for you and this is my blood that was shed for you. And the reason he did that, the reason he allowed his body to be broken and the reason he allowed his blood to be shed is because there was no one he was okay in being, with being in heaven without. 
that everyone in this world was important to him and that it was worth it to do difficult things to help them be saved. And so if we are going to wear the name of Christ and call ourselves Christians, then we will also do difficult things to make sure others are saved. So we're going to take communion together. We'll remember that, and then we'll come back after that. Um, Father God, thank you for showing us the way. Thank you for showing us what it's like to be merciful to those um, who are hurting, who are in danger, um, who are hurting themselves and hurting others. And, and thank you for guiding us in what it looks like to show love um, and acceptance um, while we address sin and while we address the hurts and while we push for something better. Um, thank you for doing that first. Help us to honor that, not just by taking this, um, this communion that you've called us to take, but by living it out through the week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so these are super hard things. Being merciful to people that it is hard to show mercy to is, is difficult. It's messy. So how do we do that? Well, there's several things that Jude guides us to that helps us to be a successful mercy provider, right? Someone who is effective at showing mercy even when it's difficult. And the first thing that he tells us to do is we have to remember the Scriptures. That is so critical. That's the foundation. It's what everything launches from. And the Scriptures always lead us to mercy, Right? The Scriptures lead us to mercy, and mercy does not abandon the Scriptures. Right? It's our foundation point, it's our launching point, it's how we learn to do it right. In Jude 1.17 and then in 20, it says, But you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ said. And again, but you, my dear friends, must build up your lives ever more strongly upon the foundation of our holy faith. Providing mercy is a tough and messy business, and if you don't have a strong foundation, you're going to crumble. If you don't launch from a place of love and support and strength, then you are going to have a really hard time getting into other people's mess. You've got to be prepared. We are called to be in other people's mess, but you've got to do it in a way that's smart and that, that prepares you for it, that keeps us going even when it doesn't go how we'd hoped, right? Because you are, when you are showing mercy to everyone, a lot of them will reject it, right? When you're showing mercy to everybody, there's going to be a lot of people that take all the good things you give them and throw it in the dirt and keep on their way the same things they were doing before. And if you don't have a foundation in the word, you're not going to be able to keep going. In 2 Peter 1.19, it says, We have been given the prophetic word, the written message of the prophets, made more reliable and fully validated by the confirming voice of God on the Mount of Transfiguration. And you will continue to do well if you stay focused on it. Peter's writing to people in a really difficult time. There were people that were going through a ton of persecution. And what he's telling them is the only way you're going to keep going is if you remember that you have a God who stays with you no matter what, who has not abandoned you and is very much here with you. And there's work to be done. In Jude 3, it says, Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we share, but now I find I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. Right? In our More Than Word series, we talked about the faith and how important it is to stay rooted in the Word and make sure we're staying true to the life that God is calling us to, that we can't abandon our faith while we share it with others. The, the, when he talks about the salvation he, we share, he talks about it coming from someone who is, who is sharing the faith, that you don't acquire faith on your own. Most of the time, you acquire faith by someone coming up to you and sharing the mercy that they've been given, right? And, and showing it showing what it looks like. That's our purpose. That's our, the point of us, is to share that faith with others, not just to keep it to ourselves, but to give it. In Romans 10, 13, it says, everyone, yes, everyone who trusts in the Lord will be saved, but before people can call on the Lord, they must believe in Him. And before they can believe in the Lord, 
They must hear about him, and for anyone to hear about the Lord, someone must tell them. So faith comes from hearing the good news, and people hear the good news when someone tells them about Christ. The road back for everyone begins with someone caring enough to share God's mercy with them and to step into their lives and speak truth, but you've got to know truth to give truth, right? The last thing that people who are hurting need is your personal opinion, right? And there are a lot of times where your opinion can just stay right there. It is okay. It does not necessarily need to be shared. There are clever things that you can say to someone who's reacting in a hurtful way, and and it would be great if those just stayed put, right? But what you can share all of the time is when you see, man, someone said some messed up stuff to Jesus, and this is how Jesus responded. That's always okay to share. You don't ever have to ask permission. You don't have to wonder if you're in the right. If, if Jesus reacted away to somebody, it's okay. It's always okay to react that way to somebody. And why? Because Jesus said, I say only what my father told me to say. And Jesus spent a ton of time learning exactly what his father told him to say. Right? And that's why teachers of the law, people who've made it their career to know God's word, still got stumped by Jesus. Right? Because he spent a ton of time studying God's word and, and praying and, and being close to him. Which brings us to the second thing that we need to do if we're going to be effective in providing mercy. We need to recommit to prayer in the spirit. We need to recommit to prayer in the spirit. There are multiple times in scripture that we see Jesus tell his disciples that there are strongholds that can only be broken by prayer. That there's no amount of effort There's no amount of time you can spend with someone. There's no amount of gifts you can buy them that will break through that stronghold. It will only happen through prayer. In Jude 1.20, it says, Furthermore, continue to pray in the Holy Spirit. And when he says pray in the Holy Spirit, he's not talking about having some ecstatic experience or, or losing control of yourself. What he's talking about is praying in a way that lines you up with the Spirit of God. Praying in a way that is in line with what God wants to happen in this world and making sure that your heart is exactly where he is. And I know that because there's a bonus verse, Galatians 5, 24 and 25. It's not in your notes, but it's a really good one. Galatians 5, 24 and 25 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, meaning I don't do what I want anymore. It says, since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. I love that language of keeping in step with the Spirit. He's guiding the way. He's showing us where to go. And when we pray, we not only call on God's power in a situation, which is good because He's the only one who can help, but we also make our perspective look like His perspective. We see things through His eyes, and we don't take stuff so personally. And Luke 10, 2, it says, So He instructed them, The harvest is vast, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers out into His harvest. There is a Lord of the harvest. Sharing mercy is not something that happens randomly. There is a Lord of the harvest who has commanded us to be the reapers, to be the ones who come around and say, you are hurting and I see the need and so I will harvest all the work that God has done in your life, all the people that God has put into your life, all the the things that you have heard that have set you up for this moment. I am going to be the one who waters that and tends that and lovingly cares for it so that something good can spring up from it. And prayer is how that gets done. Prayer is how that's initiated. You find people that are hurting, and you, you get on your knees, and you pray for them. The third thing that we need to do in order to provide mercy effectively is I need to re- you need to retain your faith and be faithful. It does nobody any good for you to get involved in a situation and get wrecked, right? It doesn't help anyone for your faith to be wrecked as you go and, and try to help other people. And the only way we can be effective in sharing our faith is if we have a healthy faith to share. 
In Jude 1.21, it says, stay always within the boundaries where God's love can reach and bless you. Right? When you are going into a rough situation, you better stay where God can still hit you with some of that mercy and some of that love and provide the support. And in the military, the worst thing you can ever do is outstretch your supply lines. Right? Because it doesn't matter how good your weapons are, if you can't eat, you can't fight. Amen? Right? And that's how God treats us. It's always good to go into enemy territory and fight God's battles. That's what he calls us, commands us to do. But don't get so far out that your small group can't see where you are. Right? Don't get so far out that you have to lie about where you were this weekend. Don't get so far out that you have to start hiding stuff and you can't be honest and come back to that source of life that you have. A firefighter who makes a bad decision and gets trapped can't help anyone else, right? And that's what we are. We are those snatching people out of the fire. We are those who are going into situations that others are afraid to handle and loving on them passionately. But while we do that, you better be smart and you better stay connected to the resources that God has given you to stay whole and stay in him and stay in his love. <clears throat> Straying from your, and this is, it puts more weight on why it's important to stay close to God because it's not just about you. Straying from God removes your chance at getting mercy, and it also removes other people's chance of receiving mercy. You are affecting more than just yourself. Even if it's something you're just doing to yourself, you're removing the chance to do all the cool things that God was trying to do in you. Right? It's not just about you. The fourth thing that we need to do to provide mercy is I must resolve to be caring but careful. Right? The way Jesus put this was, be as shrewd as vipers and as innocent as doves. Right? You've got to be smart and, and wise in the way that you reach out to people. In Jude 23, it says, And as for others, help them find the Lord by being kind to them. But be careful that you yourselves aren't pulled along into their sins. Hate every trace of their sin while being merciful to them as sinners. This is where the, that saying, hate the sin, love the sinner, this is where that came from. And sometimes our hate of the sin looks an awful lot like hate of the person, and so that, that saying gets a bad rap. But the heart of it was good, right? If you love someone, if you love your kid, and your kid is destroying their life, you absolutely hate the things they are doing that destroy their life, and you absolutely love your kid. That's an easy thing to get to. If you are struggling with that line, then you need to do a better job of loving the person, right? That's what makes that clear, because when you really love the person, it's easy to draw that line. It's easy to make the distinction of, I hate what you're doing, but I love you with all my heart. It is okay to say that. When you see what sin does, it affects you. It, it allows us to be careful and caring. It allows us to say, I don't want that for anybody. It's one of the best things you can ever give to the people that follow after you. The best thing I ever did to prepare my daughter for middle school was to let her watch up with us, let her grow up watching us bring broken people into our homes and saying, we're broken too, let's figure this out. That's the best thing we could have done to prepare her because now when she sees brokenness, she's not like, what is that? Right? Like she knows, like she's seen it. She's been all around. She knows not everybody lives in a, in a home like ours. She knows not everyone lives. And by that I mean like, some people come home and don't feel safe, right? Some people come home and don't feel good. Some people have been through some messed up stuff at the hands of their parents and the people they trusted. And I want her to know that, and I want her to know how to react to that. It's the best thing you can do to prepare your kids and anyone who's looking up to you, right? It is an awesome thing to be caring and careful. And did she grow up hearing some words that I would have preferred she didn't hear? Yeah, for sure, right? <laughs> did I have to explain some things to her a lot earlier than I was ready to? Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely, right? But do I have friends with older kids that are doing the same thing that I can call and say, 
what did you tell your kid when they asked you this, right? Yeah, I've got community that I can lean on and say, I don't know what to do. Like, this is a mess. And most of the time, the answer, I still don't know what to do. Good luck, right? But, but God figures it out, right? He provides for us. He gives us what we need. In Galatians 6.1, it says, My spiritual brothers and sisters, if one of our faithful has fallen into a trap and is snared by sin, don't stand idle and watch his demise. Gently restore him, being careful not to step into your own snare. Right? When I go out to dangerous people, I need to be cautious and aware that I am vulnerable. Right? If you are going to love on cheaters and liars and abusers and the untrustworthy, you better be aware that you are vulnerable too. There are a lot of stories of, of ministers, you know, male ministers helping women out with good intentions and ending up making some dumb decisions, right? There are a lot of stories of people having addict friends coming out of addiction and wanting to help them and getting tied right back into that world, right? There are a lot of stories of people going in. They didn't go in intending to fall. They went in intending to help and love, but they didn't go in smart. They didn't go in supported, and they, they exceeded their supply lines, and they got in trouble, right? We need to be shrewd in the way that we help. We have to help them. We have to be there and be available, but we have to help them be smart. In 1 Corinthians 5, 5 through 6, it deals with someone who was just willfully, you know, they had tried to help, and the guy was not willing to be helped. He, he didn't want to hear it. And so this is what it says. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his rebellious flesh in hope that his spirit may be rescued and restored in the day of the Lord. Boasting of your tolerance of sin is inappropriate. It is not helpful to tell people that are making terrible decisions, that it's okay, right? That they're doing the right thing. That is not helpful. Don't cheer them on. It says, don't you understand that even a small compromise with sin permeates the entire fellowship, just as a little leaven permeates a whole batch of dough? There are times when being merciful means setting a boundary and cutting someone off for a time. That is appropriate. It is okay to do that, but you've got to do it for the right reasons. The, the heart behind this, when he says, hand this man over to Satan, that doesn't mean we wish him harm. What he's saying is, there's going to be a time where they need to feel their natural consequences. Right? They are a functional sinner, and we need to let them go far enough down the road to where they're not functional anymore, or they're not going to change. Right? And that is okay. It is okay to tell people over time, I can't be around you. You may not be the person, the ideal person to go and help the person who abused you. Right? In rare circumstances, maybe you're able to, but most of the time, probably best you're not that person. Right? That's not what it's saying. You have to be smart. But it does mean that when someone who's wronged you, who's hurt you, is ready to, to knock on the door, that we open that door up. You know, that we are willing to walk with them if they are willing to walk with us. And it often means you better call in a ton of help. Right? You better bring in people around you. Don't go spiritual Rambo on it. Right? Don't be like, I got this. Right? Like God gave you an army of people to fight alongside you, to watch your back and to help you and say, am I crazy for this? Right? They're saying I owe this to them and I really don't feel like I owe this to them. Right? Am I nuts? And they're like, you don't owe them a penny. Right? Like just <laughs> walk away. They got to feel this stuff. Right? And there'll be other times where they say, this might be a time where you got to let them knock and, and let me be with you while you open that door. Right? You need other people around you to help you through it and you've got to be smart. But but mercy will always make a way back when someone is humbled and when someone is, is ready to be willing to walk that walk. Jude didn't share these insights with the world. He wrote them to the church, right? And, and we need to share this 
We need to share this mercy with people that are outside of the church, and we also need to share it with people that are inside of the church. And when someone reveals something in a small group setting or, or to you privately, we need to be careful and mindful about how we react, not with judgment and anger, but with acceptance of them and rejection of what they're doing and, and helping them find a way back. But in, in every circumstance, whoever you run into, there is mercy to be shown, and there are unbelievable things that can happen when we do that. There, there is amazing transformation. Again, with Paul, Paul walked into a church, and in Scripture it says there were people who were super nervous about Paul coming to church, right? Because he'd locked up their cousin, right? Like, he'd, he'd approved of it when their brother was stoned, right? Like, that's not good. That's, that's a scary person to let into the church. But he came with a buddy and who was going to watch him and make sure he didn't, like, fly off and start grabbing rocks, right? Like, slap him out of his hand. Calm down, man. We're, we're in a safe place. Like, it's okay. You don't have to do that anymore, Right? And you, you come and you give grace. There are people that we've reached out to that, you know, the first thing they came to as a Christian, they brought a beer to the party because that's how you show love to your friends. And you don't like slap it out of their hand. You'd be like, all right, let's set that over here. We're going to chill with some Cokes. Like, let's, right, let's, maybe not what we do this time, right? But be loving, be gentle. You don't, you don't accept the sin, but you love the sinner. And, and the only way to do that appropriately is to get involved in people's lives and love on them fiercely and find out their story, and find out their hurt, to the point that you understand where they're coming from, and you can treat it with compassion instead of anything else. Um, if you are a member of our body, if you're a member of our church, then, then that's your marching orders. That's, that's the command from the Lord of the harvest, and it wasn't a suggestion, right? This is what we are called to do, and if you don't know how to do it, you have people all around you who are ready to show you that, to give you an example of it, to say, come alongside me while I do this. And if you're a guest and you don't know what it's like to be shown mercy, if you're still operating out of your hurts and you're still making decisions, and you're like, I don't even know how to stop hurting myself and hurting the people around me, then we are 100% in your corner. And we would love nothing more than for you to share the stuff that you don't feel safe sharing and to welcome that and embrace that and say you are in a safe place to say that, but you are also in a place that wants so much better for you than what you've been living with. There's a communication card that's in your bulletin. We're going to pass around our offering for our members. So for our members, is your chance to contribute financially to the work. Um, it's a powerful thing. It's a good thing. It lines our hearts up in a sacrificial way with God, and that's, a, that's an awesome thing. For our guests, what we would love instead of money is, is for you to share your hearts. Um, and so on that communication card, if you'll just write down, man, I'm, I don't even know where to go. Like, I don't even know what it looks like to receive mercy, or I haven't had a lot of people in my life who've shown me mercy if you'll be vulnerable with us, we'll be vulnerable with you. And we'd love to come alongside you and, and, and walk with you if you'll walk with us. Amen? All right. So we're going to pray. Um, right after this, we've got a really short, like, two-minute meeting with the men of the church. So if you're a, a man who's a member of this church, if you'll meet back with Lynn in the, I guess the yoga room is what we call it, but it's the, the room. We're not doing yoga, but we're going to meet in the room that's the first door on your left when you walk in the doors. Um, just a couple minutes real quick. Um, I'm going to pray, and, uh, and we'll get after it. Um, Father God, um, you are so awesome, and your love is more than we could ever imagine. And there are times where we look at others, and in our hearts, Father, we don't know what to do, and we're scared of it, and so we lash out. And, and Father, you teach us a better way. And so I pray that we would have your eyes, that when we see people that are making hurtful decisions out of the hurt that they've suffered, that we would get to know them well enough to understand where they're coming from, that we would love them enough to walk alongside them if they're willing to walk with us, and that you would give us the wisdom when they're being 
steady in that destructiveness, that, that we step back after a time and say, you need to experience a little bit more life before you're ready to hear this. Um, Father, help us to be smart in the way we do that, to do it with the right motives, to do it with your heart and not our own. Um, I pray that you would steadily transform us the way that only you can. Father, only you can save. Help us to remember that if someone rejects us when we're sharing your words, that it's not us that they're rejecting, it's you. Help us to be humble about it and know that when people accept us and accept your message from us, that's also not us, but it's you. May we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.